What's up? My name is Dwayne Jones. I'm an artist and a designer and the founder of a lifestyle brand called Art Pays Me. And I love talking to people who are driven to create and make the world a better place with their work. Welcome to a special six-part series of Art Pays Me called Craft Pays Me, where I'll be talking to six craftspeople who represent a cross-section of mediums and stages in their careers. I want to give a special thank you to Julie Roswell and Craft Nova Scotia for making this possible. We'll hear from Julie at the beginning of each episode in the series. And I also want to give a thank you to Arts Nova Scotia for their additional support in this project. Let's get into it. All right, welcome to Art Pays Me. We have a very special, I guess the beginning of a very special series uh, that we're going to be doing for Art Pays Me. And uh, I've got Julie Rosfall to give a little bit more information about that. And uh, I'll pass it to you, Julie. Excellent. Hi, Dwayne. Uh, I'm Julie Rosvel. I'm with Craft Nova Scotia. Um, we are a registered charitable nonprofit here in the province. Uh, we've been around since 1973 uh, and uh, incorporated in 76. Uh, and we work on behalf of craftspeople uh, across the province. Um, running programs uh, in export development and um, retail shows. We did have a physical retail shop. Unfortunately, COVID uh, made that impossible because we were down by the seaport. So we had to close that. But we just launched an online shop, which we're very excited about. Um, we manage and administer the Center for Craft Nova Scotia, um, and that's sort of where we first meet Tony Losi, who's going to be our first guest for this special little series. Um, I first heard of you, Dwayne, uh, last year when... Uh, in the midst of COVID, you had a podcast with one of our members, uh, and that was probably April, I think, uh, mm -hmm. when you talked to Tabitha Coleman, who makes leather bags and is a juried member of Craft Nova Scotia. And I loved the way the conversation went. And it, actually, it was sort of funny because she almost was, at, at times during it, you, you, you were the subject and she was the... <sighs> It, it was a really lovely conversation and I love, I just, it, it stuck with me for several months. And then maybe in the summer, I heard Andrea Sang Jackson, another of our jury members um, who does shows and teaches and, uh, and publishes books now, all kinds of stuff. And you talked to her over the summer and that's when, I, and I had been working all through the first six months of COVID trying to find programming for Craft Nova Scotia because usually I'm doing events. Um, I'm doing big craft shows and exhibitions and having people together and I couldn't do that. And I thought, well, we need to have more crafts people on Art Pays Me. We need to have our mini series of, you know, have Craft Pays Me instead of Art Pays Me for a little while. Um, so I approached you, you were game. The next big hurdle was money. We needed to find funding for it. And it took a while. Um, the Arts Nova Scotia funding programs uh, came out in October. I applied immediately, October 15th, and we found out oh gosh, three weeks ago now, uh, that we get the funding. So we have a six part mini series of Craft Pays Me 
with Dwayne Jones of Art Pays Me, and we're very excited. So Tony Losi, ceramic artist, is our first person. Um, so I met Tony over the years at like Halifax Crafters and other sh small shows, um, you know. And then last year we got we got we were roommates for uh, a week uh, in London because we did an ed educational mission with um, Craft Alliance Atlantic, one of our partners here in uh, in this region uh, regarding craft. Um, and so to I, the, the organizer, Bernie Burton was like, oh yeah, you guys know each other. So you guys can be roommates. And I said, yeah, I've met her, but uh, you know, I'm not used to having roommates. So we'll see how this goes. And Tony was like, I don't know who this woman is. I've heard her <laughs> name maybe, but what the hell? So we, uh, we got to spend a week in London together for Collect uh, London, the UK. Um, which is a huge craft uh, extravaganza, uh, and it really brings together the best of craft, mostly UK, but certainly internationally as well, uh, that's organized by, um, by galleries, uh, which is great. So Tony uh, was a participant who uh, you know, was supposed to be part of uh, Collect this year, um, but unfortunately, we uh, Craft Alliance wasn't able to do it due to the funding uh, for travel, um, and the show didn't go ahead uh, in person. Um, so hopefully, maybe next year or the year after. Um, and Tony teaches at our Center for Craft, and she is a jury member. She just did our exhibition um at the Mary E Black Gallery uh and really has a great uh, mix of ways that craft pays her so I'm going to leave now and let you guys chat uh and we look forward to this series that uh will be going uh from now hopefully till the end of March six craftspeople uh and I'll see you for the next one thanks a lot Dwayne and Tony have fun all right Julie thanks for the intro thank you all right, Tony. So that's a lot. You you, you yes. do a lot. Say, <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, how do I live up to this now? <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. So uh, where, where'd you actually grow up? I actually grew up in Saskatchewan, small town prairie girl. And uh, yeah, moved out to Nova Scotia actually 14 years ago now. And I think I'm pretty settled here now. It's a good spot to be. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And like, so what kind of child were you? Are you always sort of a creative child or were you a wild child? Oh, <laughs> I wonder if my family would give a different answer than I will. <laughs> um, I think always creative. Uh, I come from a family of artists, actually. My dad uh, did photography, my mom and oil painters. So craft and art was always a part of my childhood. Um, I'd say I was a pretty good kid, but I was always looking to learn something new, try something new. Um, favorite thing, I think, when I was a kid was going for these massive bike rides, because if you're a small town Saskatchewan, there's really nowhere to go. So I just bike out into the country and uh, it's kind of terrible, but I would explore by myself. No one knew where I was. These abandoned uh, houses that were basically falling down, but truly favorite memory from my childhood. Cause it, I think 
it was just that sense of exploring and finding something new and seeing what was and getting inspired by that even as a kid. So that's a bit about my childhood anyway. Cool. Yeah, I have a similar experience. Like the the things we went and wandered off and did alone without adult supervision, like <laughs> I don't think I would let my kids do it. <laughs> no, it's true, right? I try not to think about that. My kids, yeah, they they had a bit of a tighter rein, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you primarily work primarily work in ceramics. That's that, right. That's correct. Yes. So, what what was it about the like that material that drew you in? Oh, that's a tough question, actually. Um, I. I started in ceramics when I was in high school and uh, I always am leery to tell this story, but I actually hated it at the very beginning. I, (laughs) I know we're supposed to say it was, you know, love at first sight or or love at first feel, I guess. Um, (laughs) That was not the case. Uh, Up until then I'd done a lot of painting again, because my mom, you know, brought that as part of our childhood. And so in my high school art, I thought, I just want to paint. I am comfortable with that. I don't want to step out of my comfort zone. Uh, But we had a practicing potter as our high school art teacher, and he'd actually built quite an impressive studio where there were these 10 cement flywheel kick wheels. Hard to explain if you don't know pottery, but um, basically no motor. It was all, uh, you just used your leg to get them moving. But what was amazing about it was it, I'm going to back up slightly. It was kind of like driving a standard instead of driving an automatic, you kind of get in there and figure it out. But anyone who's done anything in clay will realize that you're not great at it right at the beginning. It is, it's a hard learned practice. And I was a little bit sad because painting I was comfortable with ceramics not so much and I really fought it for the first little while but I think like anything when you have to put the work in and in high school they make you do it you don't get to step out right you put the work in you figure it out and that hard earned win gives you this thing that you 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 can't let go of like it you work so hard to get there And then you have to just kind of keep going with it. You don't want to let that go. So it was something that kind of got in there early on. And I just, I couldn't get away from it once it, once it started to click. I love that. I've had similar experiences with things that I started that I sucked, absolutely sucked at. (laughs) Yeah. But it's just like, once you have that win, you're like, oh, I think something clicks and you're like, it's like, if you have that drive to want to get better and want to be good at something, that's the Mm -hmm. difference maker sometimes. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Yeah. So did you, you've got like a long list of like shows and schooling and things like that, but do you have, would you say you were formally trained? I, I would say so. I, I mean, the more you get to know me, the more you realize I do everything kind of a little backwards or, you know, not in the, the order that we're supposed to. Like there's no ABC. It seems to jump around a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I think there's been some benefit to that because 
Um, I actually started, like I said, I started in high school and then I went off to get my degree and I went to, first of all, the uh, University of Regina, and then I transferred to Alberta College of Art and Design, or whatever the new name is now, I forget. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I actually, I didn't finish my degree at that time. I ended up uh, taking a break. I got married, had some kids, and built that side of my life for a little while and did some growing up and then moved out to Nova Scotia and started teaching classes in some of the community centers and building my experience and community that way. Uh, and then, yeah, which was great, actually, it really builds a base that's different than I think, you know, formal education will give you. Yeah. And then I think it was the years are blurring, but I think it was 2015. I actually went back to school to finish my degree and I went to NASCAD, Nova Scotia College of Art and Design. And there, finished, I had a Bachelor of Fine Arts uh, centered on ceramics that I finished in 2017. So that's the formal side of it. <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah. So I'm really ignorant to uh, the ceramic side of things. Is all of it based in clay? I mean, yes, clay is a fairly broad material. So there's all, I mean, it's how you use it. So if you look at my work, you'll notice that I do functional work as well as sculptural work. Yep. So clay in and of itself can have different interpretations. And depending on that interpretation, you're also going to be experimenting with different surfaces, different finishes, and even just different types of clay that are out there. So earthenware and porcelains and all of that. And I find... Um, because I do enjoy that side of the experimentation and pushing my materials, um, getting to work both functionally and sculpturally lets me do more experimentation in all of those surfaces. So mm. even though, yes, it's just that one material clay, there's about a million iterations of what you can do within that material. Right. I, I really, I really love that about your work too. Like you're, your functional work is very striking, but thank you. I, the sculptural work is like insane. Uh, it, <laughs> it it's almost like alien, but yet strangely familiar at the same time. And nice. um, I understand you like to emulate patterns of growth in the natural world and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, uh, like so for me, like I grew up swimming in and go and snorkeling on reefs and things like that would you say your your, your stuff is inspired by like that kind of it's you know what it's a really fair question and I just also just have to throw it there I liked the alien comment because <laughs> I do think it ends up being a little otherworldly and I pretty much well I enjoy that I, I want it to be familiar but also something that we just have not seen or experienced before so it's nice that you have that take on it um as far as the coral reef goes Definitely. There was a, especially when I was at NASCAD, there was a period of time when the majority of my work was really focused on the coral reef, on coral bleaching. Um, mm. There's these fantastic little creatures that live in the ocean called nudibranchs. Um, it's basically a little sea slug, but probably the most colorful, crazy thing you've ever seen. Like they're amazing mm. if you ever want to look them up. Okay. So that was really kind of a, a really neat starting point for me as I was creating this type of work in my 
yeah, just creating this type of work. So, um, and I think I really got excited about the ocean just because NASCAD itself is literally just these giant, you know, 20 foot tall windows that look out over the ocean while you're working. Right. It's hard not to feel like, Ooh, what's going on in there. So, yeah. you know, that was kind of the starting point, but as I've progressed, you'll notice that I'm pulling in more things, um, just from when I go for a walk or, you know, lichen and moss and I'm getting a little obsessed with slime molds and, you know, things like that. So I think I sometimes feel like I should narrow down my inspiration a little and be like, okay, I'm looking at this one thing, but I get pretty excited by, I guess it's probably little things that we don't necessarily just notice usually we might just walk by, but then you kind of dig in and look closer. And then I try to interpret those closer looks within my work. Right. And I noticed you do, correct me if I'm wrong, I thought I noticed this anyway, that you do some commissions with some of the more practical work as I well? do. I actually, and I've just started, I'm starting to do some sculptural commissions as well, though that's a whole oh, okay. little process too. Uh, it's a bit of a different experience, but absolutely with the, uh, the functional work, I do some commissions. Uh, I show that work in quite a few galleries in the States now as well, primarily. Um, so it's a really fun experience to get to push my functional work and try out some unique forms and shapes and things with that as well, which I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. And do you find that people who approach you for that, they've seen the sculptural stuff or is it kind of just they just know that you can do certain things and, and would just like your eye? Yeah, it's interesting. I think the majority of my commissions for functional work are primarily driven by things like Instagram. I really yeah. work hard with social media and try to promote myself through that. And I find that it's two very different groups of people that follow me. And um, I've actually had, maybe I shouldn't admit this, but I, I find it a little bit humorous. Um, I have people who are really excited about my functional work and then I'll go and post some of the sculptural and they'll actually make comments. They're like, oh, please go back to the functional. That's why we're following you. Like the, people are very uh, focused in what they like. So, and I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I realize it's, I feel a little like a dual personality sometimes because they're, they're, they're very separate works that I do. Um, but yeah, people tend to like what they like. So you just I, I struggle with, with that. I struggle with that myself. I, do you ever consider creating separate Instagram accounts? Cause I've done that, but I'm not sure if I, and now I'm kind of like considering merging them back together because sending people in two different places is just getting weird. Um, it's, it, I think it's a really challenging balance and anyone, so you're the same, right? Anyone who works in these multiple directions, um, it's all, I'm trying to think the best way to say this. I, I think social media and all of the promoting that we do of ourselves as it is, is going to be a challenge regardless. Yeah. And though there's some benefit to having the separate directions, um, because you are going to be gaining certain audiences for each of those I think what happens is it's also twice the work twice the time yes. and I'm already spending so much time on you know I'm doing air quotes here on that administrative side of things that doubling that time becomes a challenge as well and I kind of like that people know that I do more than one thing. They might not always love it, but I kind of, I figured that's who I am. And my social media, I try to be really honest. Like this is the person I am. This is what yeah. I do. And it just happens that it's a little weird because I do two really different things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you. 
Um, yeah. But I, I like the way you explained that. Actually, you, you, I think I may consider going back to, <laughs> to merging for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's a question I've asked myself many times. So I totally get where you're coming from, too, because I've been on the edge of the split a few times and well, held on still for just being one. <laughs> yeah, I think that's part of the issue. Like when like we're both solo people so yeah you know if we had teams of people who could manage each instagram account then it'll be different but yeah but, you know. part of me says that would be the dream like oh my god somebody taking that on for me <laughs> but then the other part of me says yeah but then it's not me anymore so i'm like i don't know it's it's you know pros exactly. and cons yeah pros and cons yeah. so i read that um in 2020 you felt that your world like it opened up and then you felt it like close back yeah. up. Would you, that's related to the pandemic, I'm assuming? It was, it was, uh, I feel like I'm at such an interesting point in my career as an artist. And uh, it was the, the sculptural work was really starting to take off. So as Julie alluded to at the introduction here, um, I was in London, I was showing my work. I was getting some great gallery interest uh, through Europe. Um, there were all kinds of things coming down the pipe, different uh, residencies, quite a few things ahead of me. And I was, it was like the year you dream of, you know, because right. um, it was just kind of all falling into place and it was super exciting. And then, you know, here I am in London about to do this big show. All my work is shipped over there, ready to go. And not even a week before the show, everything shuts down, like mm. fully shuts down. Show gets canceled. Um, I've got this huge crate of work. I got to get home even more. So I got to get me home, which was terrifying. I couldn't book flights. I couldn't mm. getting out of the country was crazy. And so you're sitting here at the height of what you thought you'd been working for for years. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it just stops. So it was it was a very stark contrast um, that I faced when I got home. And it took a little there was some adjustment to kind of, I mean, for everyone, and I, I know yeah. that's the case, everyone, just that adjustment. How do we face this new reality? What does this new life look like? You know, how do we still be ourselves and pursue what we care about and be who we need to be within mm -hmm. all these new parameters that no one was really prepared to face? Right, right. Yeah. You're, so you're an interesting case, um, though, too, because... You, you actually do what I aspire to in terms of you've got the, the gallery attention, but you've also got your functional stuff that can be found in retail spaces and things like mm -hmm. that. But then you've also been smart and diversified in that you have your own, from what I can tell, seems pretty strong online presence. Mm -hmm. Was that already strong before the pandemic? Oh, the, you know what? It was growing. Um, I had a few really great things happen. Um, like, um, I was Ceramics Monthly is a big magazine in North America. And mm -hmm. right at the pandemic time, I got named one of Ceramics Monthly Emerging Artists based on my sculptural work. So that certainly helped with the following. Um, but I was starting to get a few little nods like that within the community that I saw a big uptake in my numbers. And so I'd say, I mean, I probably gained about a third of my following, maybe a little bit more during the pandemic, but mm. it was something that had been growing a little bit before it as well. So I felt like it was quite buildable by the time the pandemic hit, if that makes sense. Right. 
Yeah. So do you um, do like orders for yourself, like directly through your website? Like can people order directly through, through you? Yeah, right now it's not as clean as it should be or as easy as I would like to make that. Um, what I do right now is I do, I'll do, I'll put a, a shop up once in a while. I don't have a consistent shop available. So every, so every few months, you know, twice, three times a year, I'll do a big, here we go. Let's, this is what I've got. So that's something that you can watch for and you can get on my email list for, and I can send you an update to say that that's coming. Um, There's always a spot there that you can contact me. So whether that be about the sculptural work, the functional work, I mean, I have students from universities, they want to do interviews, you know, and they'll, for their projects. So they'll, they'll get in touch with me that way. So really, I just use that as a point of contact, no matter what you're looking for, shoot me an email. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to say it was same day reply, but usually it's a few days. (laughs) I will always get back to you. Um, So it allows for that opportunity to work with me really in almost any capacity. Mm -hmm. And is that temporary status of your shop because of the, the time it takes for you to produce things? It's partly the time and what I'm finding, and I'm sure you find the same as a single person working in your business, our, our focus is split so much already. So there's, you, you think that these artists get to sit in their studios and make art all day. And I, no. I wish I did, right? Like that would be fantastic. But I spend so much time online. I spend time doing emails. I write grant proposals. I mean, the amount of all these different jobs takes so much time away from the actual making. And so the store I felt was a similar situation. And so I wanted to control that. Okay, so I'm going to have a store that's going to mean there's going to be a whole lot of shipping, there's going to be like a really dedicated amount of time that I need to put towards this. So if I can do that over the course of, you know, a week, so sell the stuff, ship the stuff, all of that, as opposed to that trickle-in type of sale where, you know, you might sell a pot this day and then a sculpture a few weeks later. And then you're always having to man that and plan for that shipping. And it takes you out of that focused studio time. So it was me attempting to manage my time a little bit more efficiently, I suppose. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I can totally relate to that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So how do you establish pricing for your, your, I guess, both your functional work and do you sell your sculptural work? Right, right. Um, I do actually sell both. Um, and it's, it's a different answer for both, I would say. Yeah. So functional work, uh, I find, I find that it's a little bit more straightforward. Uh, I really take some time, I look at the marketplace that I am currently in the marketplace that I might hope to be in. Um, so because it's going to be different answers on general pricing that's already out there. So I'll look where, you know, within Nova Scotia, then I'll look within Canada, then I'll look within North America. At this point, I don't really go further than that, because that's my primary regions that I'm selling within. Yeah, then the real important thing is, you have to be brutally honest with yourself. So you see all that pricing, there's going to be a range where does your work fit within that range? So, you know, what quality are you? What exposure level do you have? You know, and you have to be really honest because otherwise you end up in that situation where you're overpricing or you're underpricing and neither one of those serves you well. So it's really, I think it's just about being very honest, looking at what is happening in the market and where do you fit within that? Does that make sense? 
No, that, that makes total sense. And it's smart what you're doing by uh, considering not only North America, but Canada, and then breaking it down to Nova Scotia, because, yeah. you know, what a Nova Scotian might be willing to pay for a certain thing is different than what someone in Toronto might be willing to pay or. Exactly. You know, and it's sometimes you can outprice your market, but then you don't want to ever undercharge because then you're, you, you kill Undervaluing. Yeah, and you're undervaluing yeah. what you do as a yeah. It's uh, it's a it is a tricky thing. Like I know I'm saying it like it's simple, <laughs> but it's it's not. It's not um, I yeah. guess the other thing I can throw out there too is to be very aware that your pricing is consistent because we are you know a world community now. We are an online community. Um, it's important that someone who pays a certain amount for a mug wherever they're from doesn't find out you're selling it for half that price somewhere else right. because that devalues their purchase. And so it's, you know, there's a, there's a real value in that consistency. And I'm very careful to try to do that. Um, as far as the sculptural work goes in pricing, that's a whole other beast to be quite honest. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that it's as defined. Um, the thing that I, I just wanna say to anyone who is trying to price that kind of work is you have to price it at a rate where you feel that you're really valuing the time you've put into it, the education that you've had, the experience that it took to get you to a place that you can make that. And I, I think you also need to be aware in those situations, especially if suddenly, well, actually functional would be the same. If you are selling out constantly all the time, you can't keep up with demand, you need to know that means you're underpriced and you're gonna set yourself up for burnout. And I think any artist has <laughs> gone through that experience and, burnt themselves out and you really want to think about how many of these pieces am I able to make do I want to make and then find that market that supports that because strangely enough I think there's always a market um, so you can kind of determine how much you want to make and what you want to produce and that market you can dig it up it'll fit right just a matter of finding them and once you find them you're, you're locked in yeah exactly um, so you're you've you're in both galleries and retail spaces in in order to do that did you find it more that you were reaching out to these folks or were they kind of coming to you as you gained notoriety and that's exactly it when I first started it was literally you know walking down the street in downtown Halifax and Dartmouth knocking on <laughs> store windows right saying you know are you interested um, and you're really out there selling yourself promoting yourself and um, you start moving up a little bit as you start gaining those stores then you start applying for shows and you sell within some of those shows and people start knowing your name mm -hmm. and eventually I find you really aren't digging up the stores anymore. Um, they, they will find you and building that social media presence also, I think is a really big part of that. If you want them coming for you, um, yeah. being available, being accessible, having your work visible, um, social media is such a great tool. I mean, really, uh, and th they'll come to you. It, it'll happen. So, right. Yeah. Cool. So you're, you're a parent, I'm a parent, it's, it's challenging juggling those, those worlds. Yes. Uh, well, what would you find? And I don't know if it necessarily has anything to do with your kids or not, uh, or your family in general, because, you know, um, just having a family to work with, whether it's kids or not, is it's, 
another thing that's taking your attention away from your work. Absolutely. Um, what what challenges do you find, generally speaking, in trying to follow this creative pursuit? <sighs> well, if we're talking, I mean, the family part, the, the biggest struggle I have is just finding that balance. Um, yeah. So for me, I, I tend to work a little bit more in a feast or famine kind of approach sometimes because of that, um, because I'll just you know, in heavy seasons, like, you know, around the holidays, Christmas, and so on, uh, the amount of work that you're doing is astronomical. And I just sort of disappear for a while. And I, I've struggled mm -hmm. with how to balance those hours during times like that. And found to this day, I really haven't got a good answer for that. But what I do try mm -hmm. to do is as soon as those heavy period times of work relax a little bit, then, you know, I really try to step back and focus more on the family, more on, you know, a little time for myself. Um, I think it's really easy to fall into a pattern of working always. Uh, yeah. I think COVID has actually made that harder because we are just always home and my studio is at home, but it just, it feels like it's hard to find that time when that part shuts off. So, um, People who know me know that I'm not always great at this, <laughs> but it's something that I, I try really hard to keep reminding myself and, and resetting that so that I come back and focus on that family, on my personal time, on some time that's not just working. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I like that, that answers you, it a bit. I like that you highlighted the, the personal time and the time for you because that's a big thing that we forget sometimes. And oh, it really is, around. yeah. Yeah, it's... You know, it's easy to say, well, you just stop working and, you know, <laughs> move on to the next thing. But nah, like you sometimes need to have deliberate, just, it's just me and doing whatever I feel like doing at this moment. Exactly. And just to add one more thing to that, um, uh, allowing yourself to say that that's okay, that that it's time a, yeah. is valuable and it's right and it's necessary. Um, I think it's easy to feel like, oh, I'm not working, I'm being lazy, or I'm, you know, <laughs> dropping the ball or whatever it is. Yeah. I, I mean, I have that self-talk with myself all the time. And it's like, no, you need this time. This is appropriate. You need this, do this. Yeah. yeah. I find myself, if I have a 30 minute chunk of time and I don't know what to do with it, I'm like, I should be like, doing something with this yeah. should I respond to an email or should I uh should I do something on Instagram it's like you know what dude it's okay just just relax exactly I know it's hard it is who knew it'd be so hard but it is <laughs> yeah because like when you're in a like and I consider like what you do a business like I consider mm -hmm. what I do a business like there is endless stuff to do and yeah sometimes hard to turn that off and not let the guilt take over yeah it's true it's very true and I think with any self-run business art or otherwise um, each job you do has a direct consequences to how successful you are so you're aware every time you stop that that might mean that somebody doesn't know about you or that might mean that you don't get into this show or and eventually you have to say it's okay that you don't do it all it's okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. I think. <laughs> no, I, I 100% agree. Uh, because you, you know, there was that FOMO every now and then where you miss out on a thing because you just couldn't work up the energy to apply. But then at the same time, what happens if you never take the time to stop and then you're laid up and yeah. because your body just gave up 
on you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I worry about that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, um, you got, you recently have a, a creation grant. That's that, right. Uh, proposal. So can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, I'm actually quite excited about this one. Uh, and it's in direct response to what we were talking about earlier with the experience in London and, you okay. know, the kind of full stop. Uh, what I started to think about was, well, how do I explain this? COVID became very personal in that moment and that change. And I was very aware of what this pandemic was doing specifically to my life and to the life of the people around us. And then I started thinking about it more actually just as a virus and looking at some of the work that I was already creating, which I'm always leery to say this, but uh, a few people were making associations between the work I have and the little COVID imagery things that we're seeing all the time right now (laughs) and I was like oh man yeah exactly it's not you can see it and I I mean I certainly can't unsee it (laughs) exactly that's what I was like do I say this um but it's it's quite a funny thing because people kept coming to me saying oh is this what you were making and I made I made this like way in advance of even having heard of COVID but also I thought this is kind of interesting I'm already dealing with you know life and growth and all these different things I was like this is just on a much smaller level and it's kind of interesting and not that far off from some of the stuff I've already been looking at and I happen to have a friend right now at the University of uh, Saskatoon and she or Saskatchewan sorry in Saskatoon and she and I have been chatting all things about virology and viruses and the University of Saskatoon is one of the front runners right now in all the work that is being done in relationship to Uh, COVID and finding vaccines and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I know we've got vaccines, but they've they've been a really big part to play. So it's exciting. She's sharing with me um, all kinds of things about how viruses work, how they act on the cells. And I'm looking at those interactions and trying to think about how that can be interpreted into my own work. Um, And a lot of my work up until this date has been very much a singular figure or a singular form, not so much about an interaction. And I'm really excited about this idea of looking at you know, bringing in multiple forms and having them kind of act upon each other, not to be really specific and make it look like COVID. Like I don't need to make little COVID balls everywhere, but that's, that's not the goal, but it's, it's really just about um, how a virus and a cell interact and then finding a way to use that as inspiration for my next body of work. Interesting. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, the other thing I was thinking too, and I think back is, um, is it intentional that you make some of your work look soft? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I uh, I get really excited about very tactile quality to the work. Like it, like to be able to touch it, to feel like it could move, to feel like it's it's filled from the inside, maybe with something. I, I don't know, like that it's voluminous. You know, I yeah. I think that idea of making it look soft or having that makes people excited. Like they want to touch it. I mean, galleries, mm-hmm. we can never touch things, but <laughs> you know, I, I still, I want them to have a moment where they want to and stop themselves. I think that's right. kind of fun actually. Yeah. 
What's the physical scale of this new project uh, that you're looking at? Well, this one, yeah, and it's funny because I've actually worked in quite a few ranges of size. Um, for quite a while, I was working, you know, some of the sculptures were as much as three and four feet tall. And yeah. then this last year or so, especially because I was traveling with the work to the UK. So even just considerations of shipping started to change my scale a bit. And I was working um, much more you know, under eight inches tall, like lots of smaller oh, okay. sculptures. Um, this one in a little bit, I haven't fully decided. I'm still in the experimenting stage and I'm starting with a lot of maquettes that are of a smaller scale. And what I'm wondering about is, you know, maybe um, I really enjoy some of the imagery of the work that I make as well as the actual work. So I'm kind of considering, you know, maybe not working on a huge scale, but then, you know, having some blown up images that are a very huge scale, you know, wall size pieces and so on um, that I might toy around with too. So this one, I'm kind of leaving it a little open to see where the work goes mm -hmm. and then decide, you know, how big to actually go. That's very interesting actually, because yeah, the, the photos in and of themselves of the work becomes, piece of art. Yeah. yeah, I get really excited about the photos, actually. And I think, you know, I'm looking at things that are microscopic. And I think, you know, you have that image of that tile that you're looking at through the microscope, or, mm -hmm. and I kind of imagine like that I do a similar thing with the camera of the work and blowing it up huge as if it was microscopic is kind of a neat little parallel to draw. So again, it's an idea that I'm kind of working through and haven't really resolved yet, but I, I certainly like the idea of where that could go. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So if there's any piece of advice you would give someone trying to pursue a career in ceramics, what would you give them? In ceramics, well, probably some of this will apply to regardless of material. I think put your time in, really dedicate yourself to it, put the work in, make work that you were really proud of. Um, you know, don't necessarily rush to get everything out into the world until it's something that you can stand behind and say, I am proud of this work. This work is worth showing the world. Um, I think, I think sometimes we're in such a hurry. Social media, again, kind of pushes that, that you're always putting the next thing out. But give yourself the time to develop and figure out your things. And, and don't rush. Just, just take the time. We have more time than we think sometimes. So Right, right. You know what? Okay, so that brings up another question for me. Uh, because we're constantly trying to feed that social media beast, do you feel like becoming smarter about repurposing even older work to feed mm -hmm. that beast rather than feeling? Because sometimes I feel like I got to produce something new so that I can get my followers excited. Yeah. Uh, do, do you, what are your thoughts on that? I think the idea of repurposing old definitely worth doing. I think maybe something that I... and. I, You'll see I change kind of how I approach my social media um, over time. But something I really, really love doing, especially after I came back from London, was instead of just showing my sculptural work and showing because I, I struggled to be making right at the beginning. I, it took some time to get back into that studio space, but I spent a lot of time. I have a dog. I walk him all the time, taking the dog out for these walks and 
taking pictures of like everything I could find, little details, little this, little that, and starting to share some of my inspiration, some of what I'm seeing, some of the things that I'm excited about. And I think people enjoyed seeing what inspired me, but it also, strangely enough, inspired me. I started to get, you know, like, so it, it actually, and I think that what was great about that is it served me and my work as well, as opposed to just being this thing that you're putting out in social media and kind of emptying yourself, it was actually filling me up too. And I think that's not always the case. So I think that was a really nice approach and took a little bit of the pressure off too. Right, right. Yeah. Funny, funny. That's, that's, that's great. Yeah. Uh, So how can people find you online? Well, online we have for my website is TonyLosiPottery.com. I don't know. Do you want me to spell things out or? Um, You don't have to. I'll have the links. Perfect. Um, I always say Facebook, you can follow me. It's just a personal account, but it's pretty much the same as my Instagram, which is just at Tony Losi. Um, But that's, that's going to be the best, the best spot to find probably the newest work, even better than the website. I shouldn't say that either, but (laughs) Instagram (laughs) is what I'm most on top of. So yeah. Yeah. Happens. But you're in a lot of different galleries and retail spaces. Do you want to list those or would you rather? Well, what I would suggest actually, what I, I, again, um, Instagram has been helpful. Uh, Actually it's Linktree (laughs) I use. So Uh, what I did is I put in my Instagram, I've got my little Linktree sitting in there and actually Facebook has it too. And uh, there's links to all the galleries and retail stores that I am in. So that's a nice way to do it. You can also, the website does also have, Although that probably needs a small update, but the majority of the links are there as well. Cool. Yeah. Tony, is there is there anything else that you want to dig into that I, I might have missed? <sighs> I think you hit all the big ones, truly. I'm trying to think if there's something else. Um, I would love to say, I mean, if anyone ever wants to get in touch, ask questions, I'm always available. I love to have a good conversation. So, you know, if that ever happens, I'm here. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure getting to know you, Tony, and I, I really do love your work. Thank and, you so uh, much. This was great. Yeah. So we got through the first episode of the Craft Pays Me series. Woohoo! Uh, <laughs> I'm excited. So uh, thank you again, uh, Tony, and thank you for listening, folks. Thank you for listening to our special Craft Pays Me series. Thank you to Lenji Beats for the theme music. You can find them on YouTube. Just search L-A-N-G-I Beats. And thanks again to Craft Nova Scotia for making this possible and Arts Nova Scotia for the support. If you got anything out of this, please rate, review, or leave a comment on whatever platform that you're listening. You can find out more about Art Pays Me at artpaysme.com or you can hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Clubhouse. I'm at Art Pays Me on all of those platforms And with that, we're out. See you next time. Peace.